Grace and mercy and peace be to you from our God and Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today is the final message in this series on the four solas of the Reformation. And if you can't remember what they are, they are on the front of your worship folder. We have been through sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the standard, saying that we believe, confess, and teach that the Bible is truly the inspired and inerrant word of God for time and eternity. Then we looked at solus Christus, by Christ alone we are saved. And yesterday in the funeral service, I know we read that little part, which is often read from John 14 when Jesus talks to his disciples and one of the disciples says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus says those famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's Christ alone or it's nothing. Last week on Reformation Sunday, we looked at sola gratia. Salvation is by grace alone. And you've already seen that in part of today's text that Sue just read to you. But today we move on to one that I've kind of saved for last, although it is kind of last in their order anyway, sola fide, the Latin term for by faith alone. I saved it for last because really it is the logical climax of all that we have said in these last four weeks. It is so important that Martin Luther called it the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. Now, on the screen, you're going to see a quotation by another famous person, one of my favorite authors. His name is J.I. Packer. And J.I. Packer said something that is always stuck in my mind. It says, a church that lapses from justification by faith can scarcely be called Christian. I mean, you want to know if this is a Christian church or not? You want to know whether this is a non-Christian church? Check out what they believe about how they're made right with God. It's justification by faith. There are a couple of Bible passages, too. I'm not going to read them all to you, but they're very important. They're good passages for you to go back and look at and learn over and over. But Romans 1.17, I'm going to tell you that very simply, it says that there is a righteousness, a purity, if you will, that is by faith from first to last. Now, what's really interesting is if you could look at that in the original Greek language, it literally says there is a righteousness that is from faith to faith. Not from first to last, but from faith to faith. It means that our whole Christian life, from the time that maybe some of us were brought forward here at this baptismal font or in a river or in a creek or wherever you were baptized, from that day that you had that spark of faith ignited in your heart, that day that you entered into that relationship with Jesus Through faith, that faith has carried you along every last step, and it will be with you all the way until the Lord calls you home. Now, it was while teaching on the book of Romans that Luther came across these couple of Bible passages. And he finally realized something. It finally hit him that righteousness, the righteousness he was looking for, this purity of heart, could never come from anything outside of him or inside of him by any disciplines that he could do. Now, some some years later, Luther 
Oh, I thought we were going to have a guest preacher today there, Jimmy. <laughs> Some years later, when Luther translated the Bible, and he was translating the book of Romans, he did something that really caused a big problem, and it was he added a word. The word was alone to Romans 3.28. Now, in a lot of versions, Romans 3.28 says we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Luther plugged in the word alone so that it reads, we maintain that a man is justified by faith alone from observe, apart from observing the law. Now, when Catholic theologians noticed that he had put that word alone in there, they just about had cardiac arrest. I mean, Luther said that it was absolutely imperative, it was necessary that you put that word alone in there to actually make that Bible passage clear. Of course, that did not convince his critics, but Protestants have agreed all the way down from Luther uh, that Romans 3.28 does indeed teach sola fide. It is by faith alone. Now, let's think about this word justified, because it says we are justified by faith alone. And sometimes we kind of skip over these words in church. We don't really give you an adequate uh, definition of them. But what does it mean to be justified? Well, that word justify literally means to declare righteous. You see that on the screen. This term comes from first century courtrooms. Uh, as a trial would come to an end, the judge, after he had heard all of the Arguments, all of the evidence, would pronounce a verdict. To justify a person was meant that they were declared to be not guilty in the eyes of the law. That's what it meant. Now, if any of you have ever used a computer or a word processor, you probably also know what justified margins are, too. You all know what that is? Justified margins? You can hit this little thing on your computer, and what it does, a justified margin means that it is absolutely straight from top to bottom, both margins, none of this little in and out over on that one side. Now, it literally means to make straight that which otherwise would be crooked. Now, if you take both of those definitions and kind of squash them together, the one that says, uh, that you are not guilty in the eyes of the law, and the other one that says making something that is really crooked straight, what you've got here is this, that when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God declares you not guilty of your sin, and he also says that you're straight rather than crooked. It's an act that is entirely performed by God, on the basis of Jesus' death on the cross, it is received by us, how? Through faith, for it is by grace, through faith, and we are declared righteous or clean in the eyes of God. Now, justification is central to our faith. If you ask, you know, what makes a Lutheran or a Missouri Synod Lutheran different from a lot of other churches is very simply these fides, and it's this justification by grace through faith. And until you understand what that's all about, you can hardly say that you really understand the gospel. Luther also said in another place that justification is the cornerstone of Christianity. It's the doctrine that actually answers the question 
how can we ever be made right with God? And people have argued that for a long time. How can we really be made right with God? Is it what God does all by himself, or can't we help out? Well, I want to tell you this morning a few reasons why good works cannot save you. In fact, I'm going to give you five answers to that. You'll see them up on the screen. Here's the first one. Good works cannot cancel your sin. But sin ruins your good works. Now, I want you to... That doesn't look right, does it? But uh, Go back a little. I'll get to this. I may have left that out of the screen. Uh, I don't even know if that's on your outline. But I'm going to tell you five reasons why good works don't work nonetheless. This is an interesting week for me. And who knows what I've skipped or passed over, but... I just said that good works can't cancel your sin, but sin can ruin your good works. I'm going to give you an example. Let's say John invites me over for breakfast tomorrow morning, and he wants to fix me a three-egg omelet. As I'm sitting there and he begins to cook, I start smelling something pretty putrid. And I finally go, hey, John boy, what's that smell? And he shouts out of there, oh, it's just a rotten egg, uh, but don't worry, I've added a few good ones in there uh, to cancel out the rottenness. Now, what are the odds that I'm going to eat that three-egg omelet? (laughs) Slim and none. Not for a million dollars, because goodness does not cancel out rottenness, but rottenness can ruin goodness. The same is true in the spiritual realm. You can't be good enough to cancel out the putrid effect of your own sins. Here's the second one. Good works can't save you because God doesn't grade on a curve. He demands absolute perfection. And if you understand the Bible at all, you know that one sin can send you right to hell. Now, we're going to give you an example here. Let's just suppose that somehow or another, uh, you only committed three sins a day. Now, I I know that's impossible, uh, but let's just suppose for a moment that you committed only three sins a day. And let's further suppose that you... Never commit more than three sins a day for the rest of your life. Now, that would be over 3,000 sins, 3, sins a year, which would mean that if you lived to be 70 years old, uh, you would have over 70,000 sins on your record. Now, let's suppose that those sins were speeding tickets. Now, I want you to imagine a police officer pulling you over, looks at your license plate, punches in the computer, and finds out that you have 70,000 outstanding tickets on your record. What is he going to do with you? Let's put it this way. You'll be in jail so long they may indeed think about throwing away the key. Now, the question is, you think God is any different? But you and I actually commit more than three sins a day. Some of you committed three sins while I was just up here talking about that story. I mean, our sins are kind of like a gigantic mountain. They are so high, we can't climb over them. They're they're so wide that we can't possibly walk around them. And they are so deep that we can't figure out a way to tunnel through them. Our sins are so great that good works could never save us. There's a third reason. Uh, Good works can't save you because you can never be good enough long enough. I know that. I've gotten to know Gage a little bit during uh, confirmation this year. I know he can be pretty good. 
But I also know you can't be good enough long enough, because sooner or later you're going to be punching your brother. One of them. Both of them. You may have a real string of good luck and be really great gauge for a while, but there's going to be a morning when you're going to be a little cross-eyed with your mom or dad. I just know you. But I could tell that story about every last one of you. Just, you know, just when Gage gets a good streak going, he sins. And then he's got to start that perfection all over again. So how long can he be good? That long. That's it. Here's four. You can never be sure you've done enough. If you were in church last week, you remember I told Ted, you know, what if you get to heaven someday? How many good works do you have to do? You know, wouldn't it be terrible if you just missed it by one? I mean, but how many do you do? And that's why so many people who are chasing after good works, thinking they can do enough to somehow please God and get into heaven, that's why some religious people, I call them religious people, have absolutely no assurance of their salvation. You ask them, are you going to go to heaven someday? Oh, I sure hope so. I'm trying as hard as I can. Well, sorry, Jack, that's not going to work. They truly believe that good works are going to get them into heaven. Uh, But we've already seen that doing good is never good enough because we can't stay good enough, long enough to pay for that mountain of sins. There's a fifth reason good works can't save you is because if they could, you wouldn't need Jesus. If your good works could save you, what we are doing this morning is entirely pointless. There would be no need for a church if you could do it on your own. I mean, why would Jesus have to die on a cross if you can save yourself by yourself? I mean, it's either all Jesus or it's all your efforts. You can't mix them. It's all or all. So the question then is, how are we going to be saved? Well, it's not by good works. If it's not by our own righteousness then where can we possibly find the righteousness that we need to get us saved? Well, I'm going to answer that by using a term that Martin Luther and John Calvin came up with during the time of the Reformation. Uh, they, They said we are saved by the application of alien righteousness. Alien righteousness. You ever heard that one before? I hadn't heard that for a long time. Alien righteousness. Well, you know what aliens are. You know, an alien means from another place, like from another planet. To say that we are saved by alien righteousness means that we are saved by a righteousness that comes from another place. I mean, where can a guilty sinner find righteousness that comes from another place? Well, you can only find it in one place. And guess what? Walmart is not the only saving place. The only place that really saves us is Jesus Christ. Now, to make myself clear, I am not saying that salvation is completely outside you and me. I mean, we we do not save ourselves. We can contribute nothing to our salvation. God calls us. His Holy Spirit draws us. He gives us faith to believe. He applies to us righteousness from another place. He puts on us that cloak of righteousness that was his son, Jesus Christ. That means there's nothing you and I can do to add to it. 
It stands complete on its own. You can either accept it or reject it. There is nothing in between. A number of years ago, I remember watching a, a, a documentary. Uh, Josh McDowell, maybe some of you read some of his books. Josh McDowell was debating a Muslim theologian on the relative merits of Christianity and the Islam faith. At one point in this debate, the speaker for Islam, who was very knowledgeable about Christian theology, thought that he could ridicule the Christian view of salvation. He said, quote, You Christians are trying to go to heaven on the back of a crucified man. End of quote. Josh McDowell said, You're right. You're absolutely right. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for the sins of the world. We are indeed going to heaven on the back of a crucified man. Now, I don't know if you, you know that little thing it says about don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Well, that's really what we're doing when we say it's salvation by grace through faith. We are putting our eggs all in one basket. We are trusting in Jesus and we're trusting in Jesus alone. I mean, if Jesus isn't enough, man, we are in deep weeds. We are in big trouble. Because we're, we're, we're if it's going to be us, we're in trouble. But we need to pin our hopes on his death and resurrection. Now, I've said over and over in this message series that we aren't saved by works. And that statement is true when it applies to our good works. But it's not correct when we apply that to Jesus. We are indeed saved by works, but not ours. We're saved by his work on the cross. Well, that brings me to uh, the kind of final point. We are justified by faith alone. And now I think if you go to the next screen, you're going to see something from Romans chapter 3 to 5. Uh, justification by faith. If you read Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5, you're going to see that it's based on God's grace. You're going to see that it's grounded in the blood of Jesus Christ, that it's not according to our works and that it's through faith alone. Now, some people actually talk about justification and forgiveness as if they were the same thing. You know, to be justified is to be forgiven. They are not the same thing. It's true that, that they happen at the same time. You can't really separate justification from forgiveness. But no one is forgiven who is not also justified. And no one is justified who is also not forgiven. But they're not the same. I want you to think about it this way. Forgiveness is the subtraction of that which is sinful on your record. But justification is the addition of righteousness to your record. Difference between subtraction and addition. Put it this way. If God gave you a report card on your life without Jesus, what would that look like? I, it would be covered with black marks. Black marks uh, with all the sins you committed. In fact, God gives you and the entire human race an F. And an F is an F is an F. Even though I had a student in high school one time say, well, an F is really only a one-legged A. <laughs> no, an F is an F is an F. When, it, when you come to Jesus, guess what? Your F 
is washed away and your sins are gone. Now, now, what grade would God give you? Would God give you a C? You know, barely passing? Or would God give you a B? Okay, but not great? No, the moment that his blood washes your F away, that's called forgiveness. God gives you an A, that's called justification. You get the grade he earned because he finished the course and he was valedictorian. You don't squeak by with God. You make the honor roll. You go right to the head of the class when those sins are forgiven and you are justified. I mean, left to yourself, guess what? You'd flunk every course. You get an A because you're united with Jesus. The same righteousness that once demanded that you get an F now demands that you get an A. And guess what? You're not half justified or half condemned. I mean, you're not partially forgiven or partially punished. You're altogether forgiveness. You're forgiven. Your slate is wiped absolutely clean. You're declared righteous. You are made right, straight, not crooked anymore in the eyes of God. That's what justification is all about. Now, I hope you can see why that changed Luther's life. I mean, it was this doctrine of justification by faith alone that sparked this Protestant Reformation. It was the central doctrine that sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Now, you've seen this up on the screen a couple of times. I'll finally get to this. What's the difference between religion and Christianity? It's really two letters versus four. I know a lot of people who are in favor of religion. In fact, I gave up religion years ago. Some people, you know, there was an old song that says, I'm not religious, I just love the Lord. I mean, that person who wrote that song knew what he was talking about, or she knew what she was talking about. But religion is spelled with just two letters, D-O. For a lot of people, it's just do, 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 do. And I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Just so much do-do. Religion is a list of things that people think they have to do in order to be accepted by God. Like go to church every Sunday. Give money. Give the right amount of money. Keep the Ten Commandments. Spin that rosary until it starts smoking in your hands. I mean, be baptized. Pray every day. That's what religion is all about. Do. Do. Christianity, though, is spelled with four letters. D-O-N-E. Christianity is not based on what we do, but on what Jesus Christ has already done. If you want to go to heaven, you don't have to do anything. You just have to trust in what Jesus has already done for you. That's the whole difference, do versus done. I want you to listen to what Paul said. When Paul got around to talking about what it really meant to be saved, he was so excited. I would have loved to have been there when he wrote this down. But in Romans 8, he said, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I mean, I think Paul was pretty excited when he wrote those words. I mean, who, will my enemies condemn me? No. God justified me. Will my friends condemn me? No. God justified me. 
Will the demons condemn me? No. God justified me. Will Satan himself point his ugly finger at me? No. God justified me. Will Jesus ever turn on me? No. He died for me. Will my sins ever rise up to condemn me? <laughs> what sins? Uh, will my, my sins are gone forever. My slate has been wiped clean. Will my conscience condemn me? Will guilt overwhelm me? Well, maybe on earth, but never in heaven. Up there, your record is wiped clean. Today, when somebody asks you who you are, if they would do that, wouldn't that be interesting you just say, I'm justified. That's who I am. Justified, yeah. Justified by grace through faith. That's me. I have been, yeah. Who are you again? I'm a person who's been declared righteous in the eyes of God. Who are you? I, I'm the person who's acceptable to God uh, on the basis of the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And best of all, you know, you ever get confused about that? I, you know, God's not confused by my confusion. God is not confused about your confusion. Uh, he doesn't doubt because... I doubt God is fully satisfied with Jesus. And because I have or you have put your faith in Jesus, therefore God is satisfied. I'm justified. Well, the doctrine of justification could probably be put in one simple little question. What would I do if God did not justify the ungodly? What would I do if God would not justify the ungodly? That's a good question. I mean, where would you go then to get justified? Where would you go if God were not willing to justify ungodly people? The answer is, I can tell you right where you'd be. You'd be right there with Martin Luther crawling on your hands and knees upstairs in Rome. You would be praying desperately to God, begging him and whipping yourself like he did. You would be sinking deeper and deeper under this kind of crushing load of unforgiven sin. But, friends, I'll say it one more time. Here is the great truth. God does indeed justify the ungodly. And he does it how? By faith alone. I mean, if you are standing today on anything else other than Jesus, you're not really standing on anything. It's shifting sand. But if you rest your entire full weight on Jesus, you'll still be standing when everything else falls apart. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are able to straighten that which is crooked, that you're able to make right that which has gone wrong. And Father, I know that some of us have struggled under such a load of guilt for so many years, we could hardly believe that anyone, even you, could ever possibly take it away. We pray that you would grant us faith to believe your words, and in believing to find rest for our souls. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.